I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Here's a little-known fact about Livewire. A major percentage of our budget comes from you, the listeners, in the form of ticket sales and donations. Think we get money when you give to your local public radio station? Yeah, we don't. We're an independently produced show and can use every penny we can get. So if the independent spirit moves you, please visit our website at livewireradio.org and click the Donate button. Thanks for listening. And now Livewire presents holiday greetings from our men and women serving overseas. This is Corporal Lance Trino with the 102nd Airborne here in Kunduz or Kunduz or something saying, What's up to my boys in Huntsville, Alabama? Hey, listen, fellas, you got to check this place out. It is the bomb. Oh, whoops. Uh, sorry, I-, I got to go. Can't be yelling bomb in these parts. Uh, hello, this is Private Adrian DeLancey in Kabul Air Force Base saying, Happy Kwanzaa to that one black guy from my old job. Uh, I think it's Keon or... Kiyon, uh, I don't know much about you, but I assume you celebrate African Hanukkah, and I didn't want you to feel left out. Um, Okie doke, back to war, bye! This is U.S. Army Reserve Joseph Kearney, stationed in Kandar Province, Afghanistan. Uh, Merry Christmas to my daughter, Evie. Daddy loves you very much, sweetheart, and everything's going just fine. Don't you worry about your papa, he's okay. He's okay, even though he totally wasn't expecting this when he signed up as a reserve, and... I mean, just wanted some college money, and uh, I mean, what the hell? I thought at the absolute worst, I'd have to do some weekend ropes course or uh, maybe work crowd control at a football game, but this is ridiculous. Hey, this is Staff Sergeant Carla Knockleby in Mosul, Iraq, saying happy holidays to my friend April back home in Yonkers. I can't wait to see you and hang out. Because, you know, you're a really good friend. And uh, that's all we are, just friends. I love you very much as a friend. And I'm sending you Christmas kisses and hugs platonic, of course, until you know who signs you know what due to that friendship we got. This is Colonel Walter E. Kurtz, U.S. Army Special Forces, deep in the southeast Cambodian jungle. The horror. Merry Christmas, Gina. This is Private First Class Dan Thompson, stationed in Bagram, Afghanistan. I'd like to wish a Merry Christmas to my family in Fairfield, Ohio, my wife Tawny, and my two boys, Jason and Nick. I'll be home soon. Uh, I'd also like to say Merry Christmas to my secret other family in nearby Lakewood. <laughs> Charlene and little Jesse, Daddy loves you very much. And because times are tight, I, I got you all the same present. It's shiny and new, yet vintage. Uh, you can use it at night or help with the post-holiday hangover. Plus, it doesn't judge me for my duplicitous lifestyle choices. <laughs> it's, it's... Livewire! From the beautiful Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon, where nobody asked, but do tell, it's Livewire! And now it's the host of Livewire, who will be doing her part by entertaining the troops in her apartment later this evening. Courtney Hameister!
Welcome to the show, everyone. We're hugely excited about tonight's show. We have the director and producer from the documentary Hood to Coast with us tonight. It's about one of the most insane foot races in the country. Christoph Baden is here. And we have uh, the sex advice columnist that we read religiously and the creator of the It Gets Better project, Dan Savage, is with us. And one of our favorite musicians out of San Francisco is joining us tonight. The beautiful Kill Rock Stars recording artist Tao Nguyen is here with us tonight. So, amazing show. Before we get to all that, please meet the members of Faces for Radio Theater, Mr. Tyler Hughes, Sean McGrath, the beautiful Trisha Ferguson, our siren of sound, Pat Janowski, and her fabulous dress. And of course, as usual, we have poet Scott Poole. He's the author of The Cheap Seats. Scott is joining us tonight. For anyone who hasn't seen the show before, Scott sits in our audience, and in the course of just a single hour, the amount of time it took Clement Clark Moore to write just the bowl full of jelly part of Night Before Christmas, Scott writes an entire poem that encompasses what he's learned over the course of the show. So welcome, Scott, and get to working. And we can't do any of it without our house band. Please welcome the M Chops. have a guest playing with you tonight. Yeah, it, if you turn around, you'll notice that there's a familiar face back there. You know that? Remember that guy? I do remember that guy. He brought us food. You did? <laughs> I remember anyone who brings me food. Jeff Harvey, the CEO of Burgerville, as it turns out, is a really good guitar player. Thank you for joining us, Jeff. And he, um, he gave us a scoop. Livewire is, is now a news organization because we can report that Burgerville has an all- local new radio station that airs in every Burgerville, and he wanted us to be the ones who could announce that on the air. So, Great. All local. Thank you for supporting local music, Jeff. So since, since, uh, since it's, you know, Christmas and everything, can, can we keep him? Can <laughs> Jim, he is a person. He does not belong to you. You have to, have to let him go then. I yes, guess. You, yes uh, you do. Of his own free will. Yeah, I guess you can watch the rest of the show. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff Harvey. So whatever holiday you celebrate, December seems to be the month for parties. We can never find the time for friends anymore, but we can always seem to find the time this month. And it seems to be the month, too, when everyone dresses for parties, so you get those gaspy moments when your date appears in a suit, so you can have a nice formal argument in the car on the way to Casino Night as his office. <laughs> and New Year's Eve is the dress-uppiest of all holidays. It seems we all want to start the new year putting our best stilettoed foot forward, Sometimes that policy doesn't apply to our dates that night, however. How many of us have made horrible, regrettable, almost actionable dating mistakes on New Year's Eve just so we don't have to ring in the New Year alone? Anyone? Oh, thank God. You know, some people think Valentine's Day is the worst night of the year for single people. I beg to differ. Because at least you can go out on the evening of Valentine's Day and not have every couple in the room pair off, count down, and then make out, leaving you to feel like the last unpaired square dancer in eighth grade PE. (laughs) Not that that happened to me. So we make concessions. We date people we wouldn't otherwise date, like telemarketers who happened to call that night. (laughs) Or convicts. Or Karl Rove. My biggest New Year's Eve mistake was a big one. Uh, My date asked a friend of mine if she and her boyfriend were interested in being in a threesome with him. Yeah, I was a little bit angry. Not that I wanted to be in a threesome, but as his date, I felt like I at least deserved the first right of refusal. Or the second right of refusal. I wasn't even part of the equation. So as you're planning your holiday and New Year's Eve festivities, I would just like to say that maybe this year it's fine to go alone because there's really no point in having an arm around you if you know that it's the wrong arm. Oh, and just a note to any of our GLBT service people who might be listening to the podcast, as we're recording this, we learned today that Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed. 
And we just wanted to say thank you for putting up with our slow government and thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your service. And Happy New Year. Our first guest tonight has recorded four full-length records and has collaborated on others with acts like The Portland Cello Project, The Thermals, and Mira. Her latest record is No Better, Learn Faster on Kill Rockstars, and her most recent video for Body was directed by Diana Agron of Television's Glee. Please welcome Tao Win to Livewire. Welcome to LiveWire, Tao. Thank you so much for having me. So this record is called No Better, Learn Faster. Yes. And you have said that uh, you have called it that because you can't. Can you explain that? Um, certainly. I, th I have found through personal experience and mistake that the, by the time you know that you should have known better or learned faster, it's too late. Right. Call it. You're done. It's, yeah, it's the conundrum where you can't learn a lesson until you've learned the lesson the hard way, the hardest. Yeah, yeah. Well, you could, you know, you, I, what I've learned is that if you just stay in bed for weeks <laughs> at a time, yeah, 
nothing, nothing bad really happens to it, you. It's just when you stay in bed with the wrong people. Exactly. That's, the thing. That's what I had to learn. Exactly. We've all learned that lesson. I wanted to talk about Oxfam. You serve as an Oxfam Sisters of the Planet ambassador, and you've actually gotten to interview some women who have been affected by climate change in your capacity with them. What kind of stories have you heard from these women? I, was, I had the great privilege and honor of attending um, an Oxfam America Sisters on the Planet conference in D.C. Uh, last March, and there are representatives from within the U.S. and then also women from countries who are basically bearing the brunt of the effects of climate change. You know, women from the most underserved and, and um, impoverished and most severely affected regions of the world who came to basically bear witness and, and show, it, you know, we had the conference and then we went lobbying um, on Capitol Hill and they basically, they were there to... to raise awareness and, and educate everyone on what's going on. And they talk about uh, climate change being a women's issue. Mm-hmm. Why is it that the women in, in some of these countries are bearing the brunt more than some of the men in the countries? Um, well, I think, as we all know, women are the primary providers in most of the households in the world, and, uh, and they are the ones who are responsible for, for taking care of the children and of the elderly and of um, securing food and growing it and providing and seeking water or, you know, bringing it back when there's none. Yeah. And And this body video that you did um, was actually for Oxfam. It was. To benefit them. Well, you're going to come back later and sing one more for us. Certainly will. Yeah, great. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Tawin. Prime Minister Kreplenko, please stand by for a call from the U.S. Ambassador. Very well, I'm standing by. Mm. Good afternoon, Prime Minister, or as you say in your fine country, Bishne Gestapo. Ah, yes, we do say that to our pigs when they have pee pooed on our galoshkis. What you are trying to say is Bishni Gestap. Oh, I beg your pardon. Everything all right, Kriplanko? You sound peeved. Do I? Hmm. I wonder why that would be. Oh, if this is about the trade agreement. I couldn't care less about that. Uh, is it the troop withdrawal? Troop schmoops. Is there anything else you would like to talk about to my face? Oh, is this about the WikiLeaks? Yes, it's about the WikiLeaks. Look, Kriplanko, we're all very embarrassed about what happened there. You said a lot of crappy things, Ambassador. And we are very sorry for everything. Oh, is that so? I would like to hear how sorry and for what. Let us, as you say, break it down. Fine. I very much regret that it was leaked. Ah, you're sorry it was leaked or that you said it? I'm sorry I said that your great nation of Kilbasistan sounds like the name of a Cleveland sausage vendor. Hold the mustard, Kilbasistan. See, I don't understand that, but that sounds very insulting. I know. I'm so sorry, okay? What about the personal remarks? Oh, I am very sorry about when I said Kilbasistan's Achilles heel is foreign relations and that the prime minister has fat cankles. You You are so I am so ashamed that I said the women of your country look like a convention of Susan Boyle impersonators. Oh, so rude. Oh, and that Ms. Kilbasa stand would have a good shot at Miss Universe because, you know, even the universe every now and then has a black hole. Oh, I'll have you know, my husband thinks I'm the most beautiful woman in Kilbasa stand. You are a very striking girl which is why I regret saying that when you get angry your upper lip and unibrow look like caterpillars doing a mating dance oh so hateful I also apologize for claiming that your voice sounds like Bella Lugosi with the frog in his throat like an actual frog who does most of the talking F.I.Y. my sexy voice is often compared to your American starlets Brenda Wakaro and uh, Kathleen Turner and uh, Harvey Firestein. Oh, yes, I totally get that, sweetie. Oh, how dare you patronize me, Ambassador. Just for that, 
I will give comfort to your enemies. You'd better not. Oh, yes, we are giving safe haven to terrorists. Not the fun ones either, the ones you don't like. <laughs> Everyone boarding a plane for America will be wearing a bomb in their shoes. Oh, whatever. Very few of your citizens own shoes, <gasps> so I can't. Underwear bombs, then. Can we keep this real, Kroplanko? You expect me to believe you never talk a little diplomatic smack? Never. Come on. What about your bitter enemy across the border? What, Borstenstein? Those sweaty troglodytes? No, no. See? Foreign relations is just a game. What game doesn't have a little trash talk now and then? Don't get me started about Borstenstein. I would call their government a dog and pony show, but they'd wonder what that had to do with one of their cooking programs. <laughs> what? Oh, ouch. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, what do you think about their prime minister? Oh, Stankoff, an illiterate peasant with delusions of grandeur and breath like the exhaust of a Yugo. Diesel. Bye. Oh, no reason. Just curious what you'd say. Weren't you curious, Stankoff? <gasps> no. Dr. Plinkle, I was listening the whole time. I conference Stankoff in. Yes, Kroplinkov, you backwards pug-faced mule groper. Oh, you drooling goiter masseuse? Yak nipple merchant. Pickle burp. Babushka stain. All right, all right, you two. Don't you see? You're each every bit the catty bitch that I am. <laughs> Our petty heretofore secret judgments of our cultural differences is what has made the world go round. So let's not openly hate on each other. Let's make nice again. Let's redirect our frustration towards some other chump like Julian Assange. Hmm. In Kilbasistan, we have a saying, feel free to shoot a messenger. The, in Borsistan, we say, an eye for an eye, a third-degree rape charge for a tooth. Okay, then, now we're talking. So, friends? Never. I'd rather die. Absolutely, same here. So everything is back to normal. You're listening to Live Wire Radio. With music, conversation, and comedy, we stimulate every part of your brain, including the part that's responsible for remembering which one's Helen Hunt and which one's Linda Hunt. Coming up, columnist and author Dan Savage, Christoph Baden of the Hood to Coast movie, and Scott Poole. Linda Hunt was the one in the year of living dangerously, and we'll be right back. Bob Foote founded the Hood to Coast Relay Race. The idea was that 12 people would divide the almost 200-mile distance from Mount Hood to the Oregon coast. That first year, just eight teams ran, and just one decade later, they had to cap the teams at 1,000. If you do that math, that's almost 12,000 crazy people. <laughs> In 2007, Emmy Award-winning director and producer Christoph Baden ran the race for the first time, and he vowed to direct his first feature-length documentary about it. He's done just that, and on January 11th, in a special one-night event, the film will premiere in 350 movie theaters across the country. Here to talk about the race and the film, please welcome Christoph Baden to Livewire. Christoph. Oh, thank you so much. You actually ran the Hood to Coast in 2007. 
What was it about the race that made you think that it was good documentary fodder? Um, because I had no clue what I was getting into. You know, I was not a runner at all at the time, and I got drafted into a family team. And I, as you said, like, you get into there, and you have to be slightly crazy to, to run kind of a distance like that. And I thought it was unbelievable. And it's the world's largest relay race. Yes. That's a differentiator for it. What, what are some other ways that, that make this race different from other races? I think the biggest thing is simply the location. I mean, they're trying to duplicate this around the country, and uh, you don't have any other location where you run from a glacier through the city to the ocean. That's absolutely unique, and I think that's what the appeal is, where people come from all over the world, actually. There were 40 uh, countries actually represented in 2008. Now, there were a 1,000 teams. Mm -hmm. How do you decide which teams you're going to follow? We came up to Portland um, four months before the race. We got access to the, to the master list, and we called up almost 1,000 teams, me and my co-producer, Marcy, and then met at least 200 teams of them at night for a beer wow. and, you know, whittled it down like that. Mm -hmm. And you covered four? We covered four, yes. In, in the film. The most compelling to me was Kathy's story. Mm -hmm. um, she was on the Heart and Soul team. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about her story? Yeah, she's a, she's a tough cookie, Kathy. Kathy is a 69-year-old woman that... Um, that started running in her late 50s, and she ran 75 marathons. And she had a heart attack in the middle of Mist, Oregon, during the 2007 race. She keeled over, and she was clinically dead for six minutes. And what was amazing about it, that everything happened perfectly. There were two troopers, state troopers, that just were trained on CPR right behind her. They revived her until the ambulance came. And um, her big goal was to run again. And first, the doctor said, absolutely no go. She had quadruple bypass She surgery? had a quadruple bypass. Doctor said, you're never going to run Two again. Two shunts. I've... And we met her kind of early, after, right after the, the bypass and after the first doctor. And so we went to a couple of doctors with her. And her big goal was to come back and to reconquer this race. And she, she tried to in 2008 during the film. Well, and it was against doctor's orders. And you were filming it. What was that feeling like watching her run this race? Uh, um, she actually went to a couple of doctors, and I think when you go to doctors, you know, there are some doctors that tell you you can do it, and other doctors that, that tell you, you you can. And I think the doctor she went with, Dr. Caulfield, who also was um, Albert Azazel's doctor after his heart attack, he, um, he knew telling her not to run would actually inflict more damage psychologically. Yeah, yeah. And watching her, too, you got a little bit of a taste of the mind of an obsessive runner. Absolutely. What, what sort of things did you learn about the way that those minds work? These people who, it's a 24-hour period mm -hmm. that, they're, that they're running this race together. Um, what I loved about it, that it's, you know, when, when you're a marathon runner, you're kind of a specific kind of crazy. Like, you, you, you're, you're kind of crazy, you only do this one thing. What I love about Hotoko is there's so many different stories and so many reasons why you run. What were some of your favorite stories that didn't make it into the film of some of the runners? I mean, there were a lot of stories that I think they, they would have been great for shorter, like 10, 15-minute pieces, but I think ultimately it, it's tough to make a film that carries for 90 minutes, and we, we wanted that those those stories weren't just like, ah, I just want to lose weight or something like that. It really had to have some depth. And for that to carry, um, we really needed to find good stories. And that's, you know, that's the one we stuck with. Yeah. I saw a great clip online of, uh, of, some, <laughs> of a couple Paralympic runners mm -hmm. yeah. um, who, who had uh, the, the metal legs and right. they, were, they were running, you know, they did, a yeah. couple legs of the... Right. Of the race. Absolutely, yeah. It I mean, it's, it's, it's an extraordinary race. And it really, it's amazing because they had absolutely elite runners, like Olympians that run this thing. And actually, during the live broadcast we're doing. But also, like, you know, 60, 70-year-old ladies that do it. And I think that, combining that together, makes that race so special. Right. So, um, can you talk a little bit about what's going to happen on the 11th? That, how, how is this happening that it's playing at the same time in 350 theaters? Uh, thanks to satellite, and we hope that thing works. So um, what, what's, what's happening is because Hood to Coast really makes sure that there are teams coming from all over the country. We wanted to make sure that it can be experienced all over the country. And normally documentaries have a tough time. They open in Los Angeles and L.A. and you know, in New York, and that's it usually. So we wanted to make sure that we can play wherever they are runners and hood the coasters. And so we made a deal for a one-night special event screening. We're going to go live via satellite from the Keller Auditorium, and we're going to broadcast the red carpet arrival of the entire teams of everyone who's there. It's going to be nice. a big party. And then we're going to go via satellite into all those theaters simultaneously across the country. Wow. Do you think that, I mean, the logistics of this seemed like an utter nightmare. Do you think that you'll ever do anything like this again? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
Absolutely not. If I would have had that on paper, absolutely not. The next thing I want to do is like one character, like two cameras, that's it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, well, we look forward to seeing that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so the film is on January 11th, and mm-hmm. people can go to the Hood to Coast website. Uh-huh. Hoodtocoastmovie.com, correct. And they can find information about where it might be showing in their area. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's a great documentary. Christoph Baden, everybody. That was Christoph Baden, and you're listening to Livewire Radio, brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, where you can, in fact, buy half sandwiches. It's a little Zen koan. Whole Foods, half sandwiches. Anyways, thanks, Whole Foods. Looking for a place to put those end-of-the-year donation dollars? Here at Livewire, we've got plenty of places to put it. No, not there. Oh, not there either. Just visit willamitweek.com slash giveguide and find us in the arts section. Or simply visit livewireradio.org and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening. We now return to our holiday movie, Already in Progress. What's going on, Clarence? This isn't right. Well, you see, George, you've never been born. Wait a minute. This is some sort of funny dream, yeah. I'm going home to see Mary. Uh, What home? You, You haven't got a home. You've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like without you. You shut up. You're crazy. That's what I think. You're, you're, you're screwy. Yeah. My, my, my key won't work. Mary, Mary, it's me. Open up. Who are you? I'm George Bailey. I live here. Who are you? Well, I'm Gus Peters. I run this clinic. C- clinic? What, what clinic? Oh, we rehabilitate blind alley cats, and we give them medicine what? and help find them loving homes. This can't be. Where's Mary? Mary? Mary who? Listen, pal, I've got to get back to Spain, Grisabella here. I'm sorry. No. No, this is impossible. Hey, that's my mother over there. Mother! Mother! Excuse me? Mom, don't you know me? It's me, George Bailey. I'm sorry, young man, but you're mistaken. I don't have any children. I devoted my entire life to championing the rights of women in the Congo. No. No, that's not true. You're Helen Bailey. You stayed home and and raised me and my brother Billy. You're my mother. I'm afraid not, sir. My life is better served saving the lives of hundreds or maybe by this point thousands of suffering women. No, no, this is crazy. Clarence! Clarence! I must be going, young man. Sorry I couldn't help. Clarence, what have you done to me? Clarence, where are you? Right here, George. Clarence, this is nutty. Nobody knows me. Well, of course not, George. You're seeing life as if you've never been born. (sighs) The people of New Utopia have lived without you in their lives. New What? What happened to Bedford Falls? Oh, well, since the Worldwide Nuclear Disarmament Treaty and the eradication of cancer, the citizens thought that a change in name would be just... What about Mary? What about my wife? Oh, you're not going to like it, George. Where is she, damn it? Oh, she's giving a speech down at the city square. And so, people of New Utopia and the thousands watching around the country, as your re-elected president, I, Mary Hatch, pledge to continue the work I began over 20 years ago. By investing in education and the environment, we have begun to see a monumental shift in the path of the United States. The billions of dollars earmarked for an obsolete military defense are now ushering in a new age of technological renaissance and appreciation of the creative spirit. Mother Earth has begun to heal after decades of abuse, and poverty in this country will be all but a memory within the coming year. People of America, Mary, I know... Mary, it's me, George! Let's go, Mary. President! Let's go, no, no, President! No, no, no. I heard... All right, no job. We're going for a ride. No, you don't understand. That's my wife. Right. You're married to the president? <laughs> a woman who has sworn off relationships so she can focus in the country? Sure, pal. Clarence. Clarence, help me, Clarence, please. I want to live again, Clarence. I want to live again. Oh, please, God, I, I want to live again. Oh, I'm sorry, George. At this point, that just seems like an awful idea. <laughs> oh, oh, Clarence, please. 
Ladies, well, you took a big chance when you wished that you'd never been born. Could have gone one of two ways, and it did not go your way. Oh, God, no, no. Listen, while you're cursing the heavens, will, will you ring this for me? What? Well, just ring this bell here. Come on. Oh, thanks, sucker. See ya. Oh, oh God, no. No. column Savage Love has been syndicated in newspapers around the country and the world, and in the past few years, his Savage Love cast has grown enough that it requires its own iPhone app. He's the author of four books and has appeared on This American Life, Real Time with Bill Maher, The Colbert Report, and Countdown with Keith Oberman. In September of 2010, in response to a rise in teen LGBT suicides, Dan Savage and his partner Terry created a YouTube video letting gay and lesbian teens know that they should hold on because their lives would get better. Three months later, the It Gets Better project is now a worldwide movement with over 5,000 videos and over 15 million views. Here to talk about that and maybe a few other things, please welcome Dan Savage to Livewire. Welcome back to LiveWire, Dan. It never occurred to me that the uh, It's a Wonderful Life thing could have gone another way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't go well for him this time. No. Not at all. So I wanted to talk about the Donest Hotel repeal. Um, you've talked in the past about institutional discrimination being part of the reason that GLBT kids are having a hard time in this country. So I'm wondering what sort of difference you think that this will make in their lives? This is going to make a tremendous difference. You know, institutionalized bigotry on the part of the federal government, even state and local governments, it legitimizes and endorses, really, and empowers bullies and bigots and homophobes. So we've kicked one major strut out from the argument uh, that the right-wingers and the haters like to make, that gays and lesbians are a threat to the country or unfit to serve or lesser than or not equal to and now we've done it with the military. We need to do it next with full marriage equality. And then all... You know, Dan, this feels a little like the slippery slope that they were talking about in the House of Representatives when they were filibustering. At first, we're going to join the army, and then we're going to want to get married. Yeah, and... you're going to want rights. Stuff like rights. They're addictive, those equal rights thing. It's like the crack cocaine of democracy. They are. So let's talk, let's talk about the It Gets Better project. When you saw what was going on with these teen suicides, what was it that made you think a, a good response would be to create these YouTube videos? Well, I, had, I heard about the suicide of Justin Aberg this summer and then Billy Lucas in Greensburg, Indiana in early September, and I had the reaction I always had, which is just helplessness, learned helplessness. I wish I could have talked to that kid for five minutes uh, and been able to tell him that it gets better. And what occurred to me at JFK Airport when I was just stewing on it was I would never get permission to talk to these kids. Uh, the deal for gay and lesbian people for decades has been once you're 18, you can do what you want. You can come out. You can get away from your hateful family if they hate you. You can make a life for yourself. You can be free. The only thing you can't do is talk to the kids we're currently torturing. And because we'll accuse you of being a pedophile. We'll right. accuse you of wanting to recruit and I was just stewing on that, going, I wish I could talk to these. I would never get permission to talk to these kids. And it just occurred to me that in the era of YouTube and Twitter and Facebook, that I didn't need anybody's permission anymore. Yeah. That I could sit down and make a video, and I could speak to them directly and tell them that it gets better. And that's really an important message, because what they're told, they're lied to. They're told that being gay or lesbian, you're going to be miserable, your life won't work out, your family will never accept you. And our lives as gay and lesbian adults disprove 
all those lies. But LGBT kids who in places like Greensburg, Indiana, don't know any gay and lesbian adults. They don't see them. And so we wanted to tell them the truth and give them hope for their futures. Yeah. I mean, it's very powerful. And the thing that was subversive about it, and there is a really subversive element to it, is that we're no longer... We gave ourselves permission to make these videos and talk to these kids. My boyfriend and I did. And by proxy, gave everybody permission to make these videos. Right. And everybody has. It's not just one video now. It's seven or 8,000 videos now. And what's subversive about it is we're no longer waiting for permission. Uh, We're going to go over the heads of preachers who are telling these kids that God hates them. We're going to go over the heads, if need be, of their own families and reach out to them and tell these kids, whether their parents want us to or not, that they're good and decent and going to be fine and they're going to survive and they're going to have a great and wonderful life. Because, you know, when a 13-year-old kills himself because he's gay, what he's saying is I can't picture a future for myself with enough joy in it to compensate for the pain I'm in now. And so the videos weren't just about gay and lesbian adults sharing our stories of bullying and how we were there, but sharing our lives now and our joy. And that's really powerful. And I'm hearing from LGBT kids all over the country every day who are, are watching the videos. And you've heard, so you've heard from, from some of these kids and the way that it's changed their lives. And Absolutely. What are, what are some of the stories that you've heard? The most heartbreaking ones are really uh, the families where the parents were paralyzed because they knew their kid was gay, but the kid hadn't come out to them yet. They knew their kid was being picked on, and they didn't want to feel like they were picking on their kid by saying, you are gay, tell us you're gay so we can help you. And... They sat down at the computer with their kids who they knew were being bullied for being perceived to be gay, and their kids took that opportunity to come out to their parents because their parents were demonstrating to them in that moment that they would be supportive. And that's been so touching. Well, and you grew up in in the Catholic Church. Both of your parents were really involved in the church. What would have been really like involved, for you? Really involved, not rapey involved. They weren't right. that involved. <laughs> You have to make that distinction now. They weren't co-conspirators. They were very Catholic, right. but they weren't... Uh... Not rapey. Yeah. Sorry. I will make that distinction later. Um... Like, how involved were you in the Catholic Church now? Sounds so dirty. The word involved. Um, so, so if you, as a teenage kid, would have been able to see your this YouTube video that you'd made, aside from the whole space-time continuum thing, what sort of effect do you think it could have had on you? I think it would have really helped. You know, I was... uh, My parents were really Catholic, and my... You know, I'm really old now, so... um, I'm one of those people that, as a teenager, Harvey Milk gave me hope that his whole argument about come out and kids will hear about an openly gay man being elected to the city council in San Francisco, and it'll give them hope. That totally worked. At the same time, my parents were... My dad was a supporter of Anita Bryant, and very anti-gay. And that really weighed on me. And when I was 13, 14, 15, I thought, well, should I tell them I'm gay and kill them, or should I kill myself and spare them? And it really really would have helped to see these videos with gay and lesbian adults talking about how their relationships with their parents healed. You know, it's not all these people talking, you know, it's not videos by people whose parents were waving P-flag banners before they came out. In a lot of cases... The people describe a real journey for their families, and their families healed and became whole and learned to accept them. And uh, that, as a gay 14-year-old who was really worried that my family would never accept me, would have been very helpful. And your mother, you wrote about her in The Commitment so beautifully. You know, your mother really came to be a huge supporter of you. She was... And went against the church, really, in that way. Yeah, she uh, kicked a hole in a stained glass window one day because the... uh, Sort of, metaphorically speaking, the... um, (laughs) You know the church that in which the church where everyone in our family had always been baptized and buried and married refused to baptize my partner and I's son because we were gay, and you know that poor priest who made that call to tell my mother no didn't realize how many asses one person could actually be calf after my mother was finished tearing him new ones. It was a lot. It was a lot. It was quite a lot. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, about media representations because it feels like there's more media representations out there in mainstream television shows like Glee and Modern Family. Um, 
And first of all, whether you think that that has an effect on the public consciousness, and also I was sort of fascinated to realize that Modern Family is like the number three TV show among Republicans. And and it's got a gay couple who have a kid, and it just struck me as these are people who are legislating against GLBT people. How can this be on their list? You know, increasingly, rank and file Republicans aren't the ones with the problem with LGBT people. It really is uh, Republican politicians who feel like they have to pander to that rabidly anti gay part of the Republican base and that Republican part of the Republican base that's rantedly. Uh, rapidly anti-gay. There are more and more representations of gay and lesbian people on TV. That is tremendously uh, helpful and good. And, and it's telling the truth about gay and lesbian people. You know, we are part of the culture. We are really more and more out and more and more integrated. When it comes to LGBT kids, it really is kind of a best of times, worst of times moment. There really hasn't ever been a better time to be an LGBT teenager in this country than right now. If you're in a school with anti-bullying programs and a gay-straight student alliance in perhaps a more progressive part of the country, and at the same time, there hasn't been a worse time to be an LGBT kid. If you're in, say, a private Christian evangelical school in um, bum... Uh, Buck, Egypt somewhere, where there are no openly gay people, organizations, services, no awareness, and no help. That kid is more isolated now and in more danger now than he probably would have been in that same environment 30 years ago. Because, you know, 30 years ago, if you were a gay kid, you could fly under the radar. You know, you're just the the weird kid without a girlfriend. And now the default assumption is you must be gay. And kids are being picked on and, and terrorized in a way out there in the boonies that they didn't used to be. Can public policy solve this problem, or is it more pervasive than that? Can you, can you stop bullies with, with policies? You can stop bullies with anti-bullying programs in the schools and with uh, gay-straight student alliances and really strong uh, leadership from school administrators and teachers. Um, unfortunately, in many cases, we've learned with these suicides this fall people doing the bullying were also the teachers and the school administrators. Yeah. Uh, in those cases, look, the case with Constance McMillan, who was bullied by everybody, the administrator at her school, her school principal, her teachers, and the entire school board, um, what we need to do is hold those administrators accountable. We need to sue them, and we need to imprison them when they don't do their jobs yeah. and protect all students. So... Moving forward, is there going to be an aspect of the It Gets Better project that will... Because you, you don't have anything to do. You're not a very busy guy. <laughs> um, is there going to be an aspect of that that's going to work on, on policies like this? And yeah, we're, we're marshalling you know, the forces we've gathered. Uh, we've created a, a standalone website at uh, itgetsbetter.org. Um, and there's a huge mailing list now. There's all sorts of people who've gotten involved, who've donated. We, we're, we don't need much money. We're giving most of the money to the Trevor Project so that they can continue to do the outreach that they do and save lives. And that's a suicide hotline. It's a suicide hotline for kids in crisis and to GLSEN, uh, which works to get GSAs and anti-bullying programs into the schools. Um, and w- what we're doing now is we're preserving and archiving all these videos so that four, you know, kids who are eight now in six years when they're 14 will be able to find them. Um, and take the, the hope and the, the good advice and the coping strategies that are in them uh, and put them to use in their own lives. Well, it's, a, it's an amazing program, and we thank you for creating it. And um, thank you so much for joining us when Thanks I know you're so busy. Dan Savage, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Tao Win. I know this is a holiday-themed show, and nothing says holidays to me like gift cards. And every year, my brother and I, uh, we negotiate, we do this email negotiation where he says, what do you want for Christmas? And I say, I don't, we don't really celebrate Christmas in our family. And he says, shut up, what do you want? Because we do. And then uh, he says, uh, I'll get you a gift card. And then I said, okay, what do you want? And he says, I want a gift card too. And then he says, we'll agree on this set amount of money. And then I say, why don't we just not do that? Why don't we just not do it? And then he says, shut up, it's Christmas. I 
And now, as promised, the man who's been toiling away this entire hour, please welcome poet Scott Poole. What I Learned Tonight by Scott Poole. I learned tonight that we need a better way to say happy holidays. Like if someone says, happy holidays, I think we should just lie on our backs and say, the horror, the horror, the horror. That might be a good start. It kind of sounds like ho, ho, ho. 
I imagine Santa Claus lying on a rooftop somewhere in central Kibashistan repeating this after realizing that they're going to have to swing back past the North Pole for the 50th time that night because they forgot little Kerplinko's hungry, hungry hippos. I told those elves to check the reindeer crapping list twice. Twice, I said. Twice, I said it. What happened to the wise men passing out myrrh? Couldn't we have just stuck with that? Come on, myrrh is nice. I miss the days when I was just in charge of the polar bears and the penguins. Ho, ho, the horror. <laughs> and while we're repeating the horror, we should just throw some towel in on the stereo and grab the nearest Christmas tree and start dancing with it. Just think the tree stand is busting and ornaments are flying about the room and the prism of your drunken joy is ricocheting off the flowing tinsel hair of a very attractive noble fur. And at this time, you'll traditionally step into a bucket of eggnog, and that's when a squirrel will attack your face, but you won't care because you'll be dancing and smiling like you did in eighth grade PE with wet, nervous palms. So you got that so far? (laughs) When you want to greet someone and wish them the greeting formerly known as Happy Holidays, you first lay on your back like Santa Claus in Kibashistan and say, then you jump up and grab the nearest Christmas tree, start dancing with it like you did in eighth grade PE with Talwin on the stereo while you step in a bucket of eggnog with a squirrel attacking your face, and you run from Mount Hood to the beach with your 11 closest friends until you have a heart attack, are revived by state troopers, then jump up, finish the race while drinking a beer, because that will be bonding. And when you reach the finish line, you'll come upon a very comforting personal realization that it's a very wonderful life because, thank God, you never had Jimmy Stewart involved in your personal life. (laughs) And then you'll record a video of hope saying that the holidays do get better if you're just nice to the members of your family, no matter who they are or what they do, that if you just hold on, you will survive the holidays. Sure, it's hard. Tough. Stop whining. Shouldn't you be buying a gift card? Think of something better than Happy Holidays! Scott Poole. That's our show for tonight. Thanks so much for coming out. Our thanks to our guests tonight, Christoph Bodden, Dan Savage, and Tao Nguyen. Our house band was Jim Brumberg, Dave Jorgensen, and Paul Evans. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Buchanan, Andrelli, Altschul, and Sullivan, Fitch & Associates, the Falcon Art Community, and Willamette Week. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Oregon Cultural Trust, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, and listeners such as You Fine People. Hotel accommodations generously provided by Hotel Deluxe. A special thanks to those businesses who so generously contributed to our end-of-year fundraising campaign. The Hotel Deluxe, the Cannery Pier Hotel, Schoenfeld and Schoenfeld, Tin Shed, Ranch Whiskey Bar, Martin Babra of Galaxy Sailor Productions, and Dave's Killer Bread. Livewire is created and produced by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tannenbaum. Technical production by Jim Brumberg from Mississippi Studios. Recording engineering by Jonathan Newsom. House sound by Jeffrey Simmons. The faces for Radio Theater are writers Courtney Hommeister, Tyler Hughes, Sean McGrath, performer Trisha Ferguson, and siren of sound Pat Janowski. Our guest writer this week was Michael Fetters. Special thanks this show go to Bobby Roberts of the Court and Fat Boy Show. Livewire's house poet is Scott Poole. Production management by Drew Flint. Guest wrangling by Furiel Harbin. Graphic and web design by Danger Creative. Web development by Amalgamotion. Our operations manager is Adrian Schaefer. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at livewireradio.org. This is Tyler Hughes, and I was on the naughty list again this year, but on purpose. Coal is like 50 cents a pound. By the year 5,000, I'll be rich. Dear Livewire, When we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time, because we love having this job. 
Uh, Thank you so much. If you've left a review and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.